If you don't have your Bibles turned already to John 12, please do so now. Page 898 of the Pew Bible. Before we go to John 12, let us go to the Lord in prayer. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Lord, we come before you as needy people. We come to you desiring to be people of your word, for your word revives the soul. Lord, we pray that you enlighten the eyes of our heart. And that you might cause us to fear your holy name. Reveal to us the truth of your word this morning. Teach us, reprove us, correct us. Train us in righteousness. Holy Spirit, draw our hearts to you this morning. By your power, change us. Change us with the same power that rose Lazarus from the dead. Nourish us with both your word and the body and blood of Christ. as you tend to your sheep. Lord, we lift up those who are in need. Lord, we ask, how long? How long must we still be sick? Please heal John Michael. Please heal Jonathan Pence. Please heal, heal Terry Sartell and Cynthia Jaqua. Lord, we come before you because you do listen to us. But the power is not in our prayer. The power is in your hands alone. And you listen to us. And you love us. And we pray that you act according to your character. And Lord, at the same time we ask how long, we say thank you. Thank you that John Sidney is here with us this morning. We thank you that Linda Hort has ended her cancer treatments. We thank you for Chandler Stingle, who has a baby in her. You are the God of life.
Lord, we thank you for this pulpit committee. That these seven members would serve our church. Lord, give them peace. Bless their time together. Bless their decision that it might be for your glory alone, for your good of your people alone, and for the good of this community. There is nothing I can say this morning that will change a heart of anyone here this morning. Lord, please, please be here as you have promised to be here. We ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. In his new book, Kevin DeYoung, or his new book, The Biggest Storybook Bible, by Kevin DeYoung, which is a 600-page children's Bible. Kevin DeYoung describes John 12. And this is what he says. He said, a lot of people in the big story book, which is the Bible, are hard to forget. Most people remember Adam and Eve. They know the story of Noah and Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. We won't forget Moses or David or Daniel or John the Baptist because famous people are easy to remember. The people who do things first or best or bravest. And we can remember also heroes of stories, right? We remember pe people that do things first like Neil Armstrong or the Wright brothers or Jackie Robinson or Amelia Earhart and of course Billie Jean King. We remember bests or firsts. However, as we saw last week, sometimes we should remember people that don't do great things or the first things. But we should remember people who do little things well. This is how Kevin DeYoung describes what Mary did in John chapter 12. But one person in the Bible is remembered for breaking something. And her name is Mary the sister of Martha and Lazarus. And Jesus said that wherever the gospel goes in the world, there Mary will be remembered. Mary broke an alabaster flask and poured expensive perfume on Jesus. And do you remember what Jesus said of her? Wherever the gospel goes throughout the world, they will hear of what she has done. Do you know why he said that? Because Mary acted out her gospel faith. Imagine that. Imagine if Jesus would say that of you. Wherever the gospel goes throughout the entire world, your faith will be talked about. Mary showed extravagant faith. She didn't confess with her mouth like her sister did in John chapter 11, but she showed her faith. She showed her extravagant devotion that nothing in her life was more important 
than Jesus. And as I preached last week, if there was ever a time where we should open our Bibles and say, God, let me be like this person, that person is Mary. Yet this morning, we're going to meet someone that's not easily forgotten. Someone we will always remember, but he's not the hero of the story. He's not going to be remembered for winning Wibbleton. He's not going to be remembered for being the first to the moon. He's remembered as the villain. Judas Iscariot. The betrayer. That's, that's what the Bible calls him. Judas Iscariot. The betrayer. And we don't meet Judas Iscariot in John's gospel until, surprisingly, pretty late. We don't meet him until John chapter 6. And in John chapter 6, Jesus has just fed the 5,000. And he gives this great discourse how he is the bread of life. But at the end of chapter 6, we see something very surprising. In John 6, 66, after Jesus has said, I am the bread of life, we see that many disciples did not believe in him and walked away. And Jesus looked at his 12 apostles, those whom he had handpicked to follow him wherever he goes. And he said, do you want to go as well? And this is where Peter's famous words say, Lord, to where, where shall we go? And this is how Jesus answered Peter. Did I not choose you, the 12? And yet one of you is the devil. Imagine that. Jesus is talking about one of his 12 apostles, and he calls him the devil. And then in the next verse, we meet Jesus. He spoke, oh, sorry, he, we meet Judas. He spoke of Judas the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray Jesus. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we find an introduction to Judas by all three evangelists. He is the one who betrays Jesus. Sinclair Ferguson points out that there are actually more than one Judas in the New Testament. He actually says half a dozen. And listen how in John 14, which we're going to get to in just a few weeks, listen to how we hear of this other Judas. Judas, not Iscariot. That's how he's identified. Judas, not Iscariot. Judas Iscariot was so well known that this Judas has to be distinguished. This isn't the betrayer of Jesus. Every time we see Judas' name in the New Testament, he's described as either the one who's going to be betrayed, the traitor, or we see him actually betraying Jesus. This is Judas' legacy. This is what he's remembered for. Betraying the Son of God. What a stark contrast we get in John 12 between Mary and Judas. One trusts him. One obeys him. And then there's Judas. 
And what I want us to ask ourselves this morning, how would we respond to Jesus? Looking at all of you, I know that many of you, if not all of you, have responded to Jesus. You have acknowledged Jesus as the Messiah of God, the Son of God, who came to save the world from their sins, without whom we would have no hope. Without him, we would not be a people. Without him, we would not be here. But I wonder if there are some of us here that are actually more like Judas. Maybe you followed Jesus for years. You've seen the great things that he has done. Maybe you've seen, maybe it's not been a miraculous sign as feeding the 5,000 or raising someone from the dead, but you've seen him work in mysterious ways. Maybe you've tasted and seen the goodness of our Lord Jesus Christ, even at the Lord's Supper. And I want you to hold on to that thought. Because I want, what I want us to do this morning is I want us to see three things in this passage. First, I want us to see Mary through Judas's eyes. Second, I want us to see Mary's gift through Judas's eyes. And Thirdly, I want us to see Jesus through Judas's eyes. Mary through the eyes of Judas. When was the last time that you said of someone, why would they waste their money on that? One of my favorite TV shows is West Wing. Whatever you think of that. One of my favorite TV shows is West Wing. And there's a season, there, there's an episode called Process Stories. And there's a side story going on between Donatella Moss and Lieutenant Colonel Jack Reese. And Donatella Moss is talking to this Lieutenant Colonel and saying how big a waste the Department of Defense uses their money. She gives a couple examples. She says, you spend $500 on a screwdriver. You spend $400 on a single ashtray. And at this point, Jack Reese gets upset and he grabs a wrench off his desk he grabs an ashtray and he hits it as hard as he can and it breaks. Donna looks at him and says, what was that? And this is Jack Reese's response. That was a $400 ashtray off the USS Greenville, a nuclear attack sub and a likely target for a torpedo. When you get hit with a torpedo, you have enough problems than to worry about glass getting into your eyes or the eyes of the navigator, or the officer on deck. This ashtray was built to break into three dull pieces. We live a significantly different life out there, and it costs a little bit more money. Donatella Moss didn't get why the DOD spent $400 on an ashtray. Judas didn't get Mary. Judas didn't get that Mary would spend a year's worth of salary on Jesus. And now, John's gospel offers us this unique perspective of this narrative. No other gospel gives us the name. No other gospel names Mary. No other gospel names Judas. 
But what, when Judas saw Mary's act of devotion, her act of faithfulness, all he could see was wasteful, unwise stupidity. And this is what sin does in our life. Sin can take something that's so beautiful, so precious to Jesus. It can take that act and it can twist it and say, what a waste of money. What a waste of time and devotion. And Jesus looked at Mary with contempt. I pray that this is not how our hearts look at people who are devoted to Jesus. I pray that this is not our hearts towards our missionaries. And of course, no one would say this out loud, right? No one would tell one of our missionaries, what a waste of time. But I wonder how many of you would ask, or I wonder how many of you, if your child or your grandchild, who you have just spent all of their lifetime raising, preparing that they might make a good life for themselves. You might have even paid for their college. And I wonder how you might react if they come to you and say, I want to take a job and I'm not going to make very much money. I'm not going to live somewhere very safe. I'm not going to be very well off. I don't know of any type of future I have, but I believe that this is where Jesus is calling you, calling me. I wonder how we would react. Would our first response be to our child, what? A waste. This text doesn't call us to be unwise with our resources. It doesn't call us to not plan or be prepared. But what this text calls us to do is to not see Mary as Judas saw Mary, but to see Mary as Jesus saw her. Jesus tells us that she has done a beautiful thing. Because she believes in the gospel. She believes that in Jesus, she has found everything she could ever need. Mary showed Jesus. She didn't just tell Jesus. She showed Jesus, I believe in you. And Judas is showing Jesus, I don't believe in you. What are you willing to do to show Jesus that you believe in him? This is Mary through the eyes of Judas. Now we'll look at Mary's gift through the eyes of Jesus. Maybe... Maybe, hypothetically, let's think. What if Judas is right? Hypothetically. What if Mary used this very large sum of money in a bad way? Can we give too lavishly to Jesus? Can we waste our money on Jesus? And what the Bible tells us is 
It depends. Because from beginning to end of Scripture, the Bible teaches us to be good stewards of what God has given us. I met with somebody this week, and we spent half an hour looking at Genesis 1 and 2. And what I was trying to teach him is the same thing that I was taught while I was in seminary, is that Genesis 1 and 2 sets our framework of how we see all of Scripture and how we see all of life. So if you don't get Genesis 1 and 2, you don't get what the Scriptures are trying to teach us. Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God. We're introduced to the main character of all of history. And then we hear this refrain, and God said, and it was, and it was good. And then we looked at Adam and Eve, or looked at Adam. The first time God says it was not good is when he saw Adam and he didn't have a helper. But then what was so mind-blowing to me when I was in seminary is we looked at this creational ordinance. You know, God gave Adam work to do that was good. And he said, have dominion. Have dominion. As my representative, as my king on earth, have dominion over all of the creation. God gave Adam the power, the reign, to name the animals. God told Adam to cultivate the earth. And God gives us this same creational ordinance. We are supposed to have dominion over the things that God has put under our care. This is one of the hardest things I try to teach my children. Take care of your things. Right? I step on so many broken toys. Take care of your things. And then I tell them what's even harder is when you go to someone else's house, take even better care of their things. Because I'll have to pay for it if you break it again, break their things. And we can read through the Proverbs and we can see how the author often describes the misuse of our possessions as acts of foolishness. The scriptures give us a wonderful, vivid picture that we are supposed to take good care of our money, good care of the things that we have, even the good care of the time that we have. And so we might ask the question, is Mary acting foolish? Well, I want you to turn in your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 12. It's on page 849. Of your pew Bibles. And Jesus here in Mark 12 gives us a very vivid picture of a very similar thing that we have here in John chapter 12. In verse 41 through 44, Jesus sat down the opposite the treasury and watched people putting money into the offering box. No pressure, right? Jesus is sitting there in the sanctuary and he's watching as everyone goes and puts their offering. Ronald, can you do that next time? Just stand, just stand here and watch. Right. So Jesus is watching them do this. And many rich people put large sums in. And a poor widow came and put two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put more in all who are contributing into the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had 
all she had to live on. R.T. France says of Mark 12, what matters in God's sight is not what a person has and therefore is able to give without pain, but what God cares about is the devotion, the very great personal cost, even though the amount of money given was negligible compared to what everyone else had given in the temple, the gift that matters to God is the giver's heart. And what what I want us to see this morning is, was Judas asking the right question? Was it a waste? And the answer is, it wasn't for Judas to decide because Judas can't see Mary's heart. We don't get to decide how much other people should give. We need to look at our own hearts. We need to look at the scriptures and say, how are we caring for the resources that have been put under our dominion? And do we love God more than we love the things he has given us? Both of these women are praised Yet the amount given by each are light years apart. Two pennies, an entire year's salary. But then we're given more in John's gospel. In verse 6, John tells us, He, Judas, said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. Judas was coveting. He wasn't concerned about the poor. He wasn't concerned about Mary's act of worship. We are told Judas wasn't just betraying Jesus. We are being told Judas was a thief. And Judas was only concerned about himself. Doesn't that sound familiar? Adam and Eve... Given everything. And what did sin lie to them about? God doesn't really love you because he hasn't given you this one thing. God is the one who is selfish. God is the one that's holding out on you. God doesn't want you to be happy. It's God's fault. That's what our sin in our heart does. But what Judas didn't see is that he didn't believe in God at all. To Judas, the money was his God. He preferred money over Jesus because you remember what happens, right? Judas sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. He preferred money over the giver of life. James Hamilton Jr. says this, Judas loved money more than Jesus, but money isn't a god. Money is not alive. Money cannot raise the dead. Money cannot love you back. Money will not shepherd us. Money will not teach us truth. Money will not give itself in our place. 
Money is not at the right hand of God interceding for us. Money will not give us its righteousness so that we are justified before God. Mary understood this, and Judas did not. Mary understood that money is a means to an end, and that Jesus is the end itself. Has your money become your God? Do you view your money as a means to an end so that we can provide for our families and serve those who are in need? I'm going to take a quick sidebar real quick. Please pray for our deacons. I'm not saying we need to compare our deacons to Judas. Not what I'm saying. Judas was an apostle of Jesus who followed him around for three years, and all he cared about was money. Our deacons are some of the best God-devoted men I have ever met in my life. They are in charge with this church's finances. And if you really want to meet men who love the Lord and who want to serve his church with an open hand and not tight-fisted, you need to meet our deacons. But we should also pray that by God's grace, they will never lose sight of who Jesus is and who they serve. They are wise, they are faithful, they are good stewards, and we should pray for them that God would protect their hearts. Mary through the eyes of Judas, Mary's gift through the eyes of Jesus, and fine eyes of Judas, I should not be saying Judas and Jesus backwards, Jesus through the eyes of Judas. Now, let's come back to that thought we had earlier. Are some of us more like Judas than Mary? And what I mean by that is we live in the South, right? It's kind of culturally expected we're at church on Sunday morning. We're supposed to believe in Jesus. We're supposed to pray before football games. We're supposed to do a lot of things that our culture expects of us. Although, to some extent, our culture has changed since COVID. COVID has given us a way out of doing our normal things because, man, it's really good to have two days on the weekend rather than one and a half. But for us today, it might be easy for us to say, We get Jesus like Mary does, but in our own hearts, we question, is Jesus truly all that he says he is? Are we using Jesus like Judas did to get what we want? Whatever that might be, whether we might be coming to church for the social benefit, or even for business transactions. Or maybe we bring our kids here so they can learn about Jesus, but Jesus really doesn't mean that much to us. Or maybe you're here because you know you're Judas, and that you don't believe in Jesus, but you want to believe in Jesus. Do you know what the one thing in this story that's missing? 
The one thing in the story that we don't ever hear about in Judas, Judas never believed in Jesus. Judas never trusted Jesus. Have faith in Jesus. Believe in Jesus. Trust Jesus literally with everything that you have. Judas was known as the betrayer. And Judas acted according to his nature. We might say sometimes with our own sin, oh, I did that and that's out of my nature, when in fact, when we sin, it actually reveals what is actually in our hearts. Our sin reveals our old nature. Judas didn't all of a sudden betray Jesus. Judas Judas plotted. Judas stole. Judas hated Jesus. To him, as Paul told us in 2 Corinthians 2, Jesus was the fragrance from death to death. All Jesus could smell when that perfume was poured on Jesus was the stench of death. But to Mary... As Paul says, Jesus was the fragrance from life to life. Jesus is the sweet aroma to God himself. There is no life apart from Jesus. And the great news of the gospel is that when we believe, when we trust in Jesus, not only is Jesus the sweet aroma to God, but we become the sweet aroma to God. What this text teaches us is that we are not and cannot be neutral observers of Jesus. Judas Judas was known forever as betrayer, the one who didn't believe in Jesus. And that's how John is presenting him. One of the themes of John's Gospels is, so that you might believe, and Judas is the contrast. And we know what Judas really believed, don't we? Because when Judas finally realized, when Judas finally saw his sin for what it was, he tried to give the 30 pieces of silver back. And in Judas, there was no hope of life after death. And so he killed himself. Do you know why Peter isn't known as the denier? Because think about Peter. Peter denied Jesus three times on the day that he died. But do you know why Peter isn't known as the denier? Because he believed in Jesus. Peter knew even after he sinned, Jesus was enough to cover all of his sin. Judas didn't get Jesus that way. Mary did. And Peter did. 
Now, for some of you, I know, some of you I know struggle with this. Do I believe enough? What if I don't have enough faith? Hear me. Look at me. You don't. You are saved because of Jesus. And he is a sweet aroma to God. When we come to the Lord's table, when we have the bread and we have the wine in our hands, we are saying we need nothing else but Jesus. Have faith in Jesus. Let's pray.